today on Ag News Daily. So again, it's three areas, Japan, the European Union, and the UK are, are where we're uh, getting teed up and ready to go here. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, it's Mike Pearson here coming to you solo. Delaney is down at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters Annual Convention, and she is so busy talking to folks down there, she just can't quite be bothered to join me for the podcast delay today. That's no problem, though. We're going to get through the news. She did have time to send us a conversation, or at least a comments, rather, made by Undersecretary of Agriculture Greg Dow today at the NAFB meeting. I don't yet know what was said, so I'm going to be learning right along with you guys as we hear Greg's talk a little bit later on. But before we jump into that, let's see what is going on in the world of ag news and in the world of markets. First headline jumped out at me today. This is one that a lot of you animal producers might not be shocked to hear. According to uh, the pork checkoff, Foreign animal disease transmission risk is greater with garbage feeding to swine. Uh, yeah. Yep, I think that's uh, pretty understandable. But this isn't talking about Chinese uh, pork producers feeding garbage. This is here in the U.S. and in uh, Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. We still do allow some type of garbage feeding to hogs when deemed accessible, acceptable by the USDA's Animal Plant Health and Inspection Service, APHIS. Um, there still, despite that, there still remains the risk of foreign animal disease transmission when you're feeding garbage. Folks, we got to remember this. If we're feeding food waste, any type of meat product getting into that hog's diet is fit word to come from China or Poland or... Bulgaria, I think, has African swine fever. All of these places could see swine fever get into the hog herd that way. So I would say if you are one of those producers feeding garbage uh, food waste to your swine, let's uh, let's rethink that. Maybe this at least is a time period to put that on hold. Speaking of put on hold, the Fed has left interest rates unchanged. They put on hold, so to speak, their practice of hiking interest rates throughout 2016. They did say that things remain on track to gradually tighten borrowing costs throughout the remainder of the year. They say the healthy economy is uh, continuing to grow. They said the only real drop is the dip in the growth of business investment. Um, they say that business investment can be a key to rising productivity and future growth, and the fact that it had moderated from its rapid pace, unquote, was the only cautionary note that they mentioned, otherwise saying we've got strong, do job, blah, 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 blah. strong job gains and household spending and a, quote, strong rate of overall economic activity. Finally, they talked a little bit about the labor market in their comments today, and they said, quote, the labor market has continued to strengthen and economic activity has been rising at a strong rate. With all those things in place, they do plan, or at least the market is anticipating the Fed, to hike interest rates again next month after their December meeting. Well, one of the pieces of news that kind of caught some folks by surprise, it, I'll be honest, it caught me by surprise, China went ahead and overhauled their basically how they count grain, um, in particular corn, 
Um, it was a data overhaul. Basically, they did their ag census last year, so this was their first one in 10 years, and that's what led their National Statistics Bureau to revise, quote, a broad swath of the data. Now, what this means is that they have increased massively increased the amount of, of corn produced in China. Basically, what they show is that corn output in 2017 rose to 259 million tons, up from the 215. So that was up 20% just in one year. Uh, they Nobody could be reached for comment. Uh, Reuters reached out to a bunch of folks, and apparently it's China. They just get to, you know, redo numbers that they deem they want to redo. Uh, there was an analyst who said that part of this is because a lot of farms in northeast China had not been registered with the central government because the land had only begun getting cultivated here relatively recently. Remember that last census was 10 years ago. So I suppose if you'd started farming since then, um, you hadn't been counted. And so maybe your yields hadn't been counted. I don't know. But it, it definitely it caught some headlines last night. There were a lot of folks tweeting about it when it actually got dropped by the Chinese. Well, speaking of government reports, we had the World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimates out today from USDA, of course, the WASD. Um, in the November report, corn production was down slightly. They forecasted at 14.626 billion bushels, down 152 million from last month, basically looking at reduced yield. Feed and residual use was also lowered 50 million bushels based on the smaller crop and expected higher prices. Hey, hey. Um, exports were reduced 25 million bushels based on expectations of increased competition from the Ukraine. Uh, with supply following more than use, corn ending stocks are down 77 million bushels from last month. So there we've got uh, the corn estimates. Quick look at soybeans. The soybean outlook is for lower production, reduced exports, and increased ending stocks. Soybean production is forecast at 46 million bushels. Or excuse me. 4.6 billion bushels, down 90 million on lower yields. Uh, the bean yield is projected at 52.1, so they dropped it a bushel already, basically on uh, reductions in Iowa and Illinois. And soybean exports are expected to be dropped another 160 million bushels. Again, primarily lower imports going to China. And uh, the forecast for protein consumption growth rate of China was also reduced, which was added into that smaller import number. So that's that's the update there. Really kind of a sleeper. Uh, the corn thing was, I don't know. Yeah, none of this was, was really a huge shock, actually, for the market. Uh, soybeans, that was within the margin expected, as well as corn. So, meh. Yeah, meh. I think that's probably the the best thing we've got there. Well... One other final piece of news here before we get to Delaney's uh, recording of Greg Dowd's comments there at the NAFB. Representatives of U.S. agribusiness, the farm lobby, and related industries opened a three-day conference in Cuba today aimed at increasing sales and cooperation despite President Trump repeatedly lambasting and promising to tighten sanctions on that country. The U.S. Ag Coalition for Cuba is down there. They're sponsoring this event. They note that U.S. farmers and agribusiness have sold $5.7 billion worth of food to the island since 2000, so coming up on 18 years, when an amendment for when an amendment to the embargo allowed ag sales for cash money. Uh, 
Um, and that's still the way that go. They, they still say Cuba imports up to $2 billion a year in food products, and U.S. farmers are really wanting a larger piece of the pie. However, since Cuba can't make those purchases on credit, has to be in hard cash, um, it just the Cubans aren't buying from the U.S. Um, there is no U.S. trade cover as with other countries. So I thought that was interesting. And I'll be honest, I, as a former lender, I don't know that I'd be extending credit to Cuba. I, I, ugh, I don't know. I think it's fair to say, hey, cash on the barrel before you get your stuff. But then again, you extend credit, you let them, you know, get their feet under them, so to speak. And, you know, maybe the exports grow over time. Hmm. I don't know. Definitely an issue there. But that's the update on the news. Let's jump into the markets. And remember, folks, our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. You can get in touch with the high-quality analysts at Zaner by giving them a call at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at zaner.com. Mixed trade today in the grain market. December corn was up one and a quarter cents at 373 and a half. The March up one and a half cents at 385 and a quarter. Looking at soybeans, the November contract down a quarter at 867 and a half. The January down half a cent at 879 even. In Chicago wheat, the December contract down two and a half cents at 507 and three quarters. The March down two and three quarters to close at 519 and three quarters. Looking over to the world of livestock on the day in our live cattle complex, we've got a little bit of strength today. The December contract was up 45 cents at 116.55. The February was up 27.5 to finish at 119.87.50. In feeder cattle, the November was up 25 cents to finish at 150.17.5. January up 45, closed at 146.27.50. In lean hogs, the December contract was up 10 cents, closed at 55.62.50. The February down a dollar ten. To finish at 60, 12 and a half. Quick look at the dairy market. The only class three milk contract reported today is the November contract. It was down three cents on the day to finish at 14.43. Now, without further ado, let's hear what Greg Dowd had to say down at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters annual convention. At the halfway point now in the Trump administration. So let's want to quickly take a little bit to kind of look where we're at right now and then look ahead a little bit. Uh, and, and this is in the context that, and you know, you have an opportunity to kind of talk about some numbers. So we're talking about uh, U.S. agricultural exports last year of 143 billion dollars that support 1,097,000 American jobs. So let's take a first take a look at where we're at for 2018. We've seen the trade numbers just come out through September. So total ag exports in 2018 so far are up 6% from 102 to $108 billion, so up $6 billion uh, through nine months. Uh, soybean exports are up actually 9%, and that includes some uh, China business that uh, came early on. Corn exports in terms of value are up 23%. Beef up 11%. Cotton exports are up 16%. Dairy exports up 5% and ethanol exports up 15% again through the first nine months. Uh, pork exports are about dead even from a year ago and then on the other side of the ledger we've got uh, wheat exports that are down 19% but we've got a lot of competition from the Black Sea there. Uh, rice exports are down a little bit and uh, the only other place really is pulse exports. We're struggling a little bit because of a bigger crop in India obviously. So uh, 
that's not a bad year to date so far. If uh, six billion, you tack that on, we might be on pace here maybe to do 150 billion in ag exports in 2018. And if we did that, uh, I, I think that would be uh, the second best year we've ever had. So uh, that's pretty good. We've obviously got a lot of work yet to go. But considering the strength and the value of the U.S. dollar and, and everything else going on here, uh, that's, uh, that's a good kind of measure of, of where we are at this time. And it really speaks to uh, the trust that uh, folks in the world have with regard to the quality and reliability of American agricultural products. So uh, today, let's talk about where we are headed here in, in terms of uh, agricultural trade and, and uh, the uh, kind of the list of things that we've got accomplished here and, and uh, the to-do list going forward. And, and in terms of the things we have accomplished, the first place we can obviously start is the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, USMCA. And uh, that, uh, I, I can tell you, uh, doing that in, in 14 months, I was there for eight months of that. That is pretty extraordinary accomplishment. Uh, I can't tell you how hard uh, my colleagues at USTR worked, and, and when we were doing these talks, we had uh, in the heat of battle there uh, at least a dozen people from USDA, ITC. Uh, you know, it was really an all hands on deck uh, exercise, and. Uh, you know, many nights, uh, many of my colleagues, you know, they slept on their couch in their office, which is, uh, you know, working really, really hard to get this done. Um, Canada and Mexico are our first and third largest markets for U.S. ag exports. They make up 28% of our exports. Uh, and through the first uh, nine months of this year, again, looking back at that, uh, our exports to Mexico are up 2% and our exports to Canada are about flat. Uh, Canada and Mexico alone account for 325,000 American jobs. Now, going back uh, this time last year when we were all talking about this issue, the, the mantra, the charge that uh, everybody in agriculture gave us was obviously do no harm. Remember that uh, very, very well. And the reason for that was because about 88% of the tariff lines in agriculture with regard to Canada and Mexico and NAFTA were already duty free. So what we were really working on uh, this time around were those products that weren't duty free and the vast majority of that involved dairy, poultry, eggs and even sugar and mostly with Canada in that regard. Uh, so those were, particularly that dairy issue with Canada, that was something that we didn't tackle in 1988 with the U.S.-Canadian Free Trade Agreement and we didn't even attempt to tackle it in NAFTA. And there was a good reason for that. This was really a difficult conversation to have. This is tough. And we could not, and I just don't think there was any way that uh, we could have uh, accomplished what we accomplished, particularly with regard to dairy, if it hadn't been for the support of Ambassador Lionheiser and President Trump. And, and the conversations, him making it clear that the importance of, uh, of making some progress and getting that resolved. So, uh, particularly with regard to uh, dairy, um, we had a difficult conversation with regard to this thing called Class 7 in Canada. And that what we're really talking about there is Canada's exports of skim milk powder to third country markets. And so, what we were seeing there was a situation in the last couple of years. Canada was selling skim milk powder to Mexico cheaper than what we could sell it from 
Arizona and New Mexico. And uh, this was really, really frustrating to us. And, and uh, we uh, were fortunate that we were have able to have a conversation to address these issues and get them resolved, in addition to getting some additional access into Canada for dairy. Uh, we got that done. We got some additional access with regard to poultry and eggs, which are also two other supply-managed products in Canada, where in some cases we, we did make some progress and get a couple things to zero, but these are still areas where we're not, uh, we don't have complete access into Canada. The other thing we got uh, accomplished, uh, and this for my, uh, my folks on the wheat side, after all the discussions for years about the Canadian Wheat Board, we finally uh, were able to address uh, Canada's grading standards and have an ability to uh, move uh, wheat uh, north into Canada here. We've got uh, some variety issue language that we've got to get sorted out here at some point, but uh, we made a lot of progress with regard to that as well. When I first sat down with Ambassador Lighthizer to interview for this job, I said the first thing I said to him is I said, sir, in agriculture, we play offense. And we have to have new deals going forward. We have to, you know, the old adage that 95% of our customers live outside the United States. We all understand that. And so we have to continue to work on that, and, and uh, we're going to do that. In fact, you've seen Congress uh, or the administration notify to Congress here uh, recently that uh, we have uh, three places uh, that we plan to go uh, here early in the new year, and the first of those is Japan, the U.K., and that obviously depends on uh, the conversations that the U.K. is having with the European Union related to Brexit, and we'll know more about that uh, the, towards the end of March of next year. But the point being is we have a trade... Uh, promotion Assistance TPA, or Trade Promotion Authority TPA uh, with Congress that we have to notify them. There's a 60-day, 90-day process notification, etc. We've got to get all that done so we can be ready to go by the end of March, and we're undergoing that process right now. So again, it's three areas, Japan, the European Union, and the UK are, are where we're uh, getting teed up and ready to go here. And this conversation with Japan is really important when it comes to agriculture. Japan is our fifth largest market. Uh, they're absolutely a critical market for us when it comes to beef, pork, and poultry. And uh, we've got a real challenge here uh, in front of us in that Japan has deals that are uh, going to enter into place soon with Australia and Canada. And I th believe it's about April of next year they have a deal coming with the European Union. And so we've got to move quickly here. Uh, or we're going to not have the same level playing field. Those countries are going to have lower tariffs into Japan than we are, and uh, we recognize that uh, and, and uh, plan to address that as quickly as we can to, to rectify that situation. In fact, what we're going to try to do here is uh, have this conversation in, in two different pieces so we can move uh, the conversation in terms of tariffs on goods, and that includes agriculture. Uh, we can move that and advance that uh, more, more quickly and get ourselves where we need to be with Japan as soon as we can. Now, obviously, these, what I've found in this job in eight months and going through this process, I have to tell you, you realize that there are a lot more details to this than you have an appreciation for, even when you're on the trade advisory committees. And these things do take a little longer than you'd like, but the point is you have one shot. You have to get it right. You have to take the time to do it to make sure you get it right the first time. And so that's what we're going to do. Now, with regard to Europe, this is going to be an interesting conversation. So in, in July, President Trump and uh, European uh, Commission President Juncker launched an initiative 
to talk about free, fair, reciprocal trade. Uh, and there was an understanding that agriculture is a sensitive part of this whole conversation. Uh, but I really cannot emphasize enough how much I appreciate my boss, Ambassador Lighthizer, in these conversations. And, and he told the Europeans, he was very frank, he said, look, I appreciate the fact that you want to talk about autos and industrial tariffs and all those things. And we can have that conversation, but we are also going to have a conversation about agriculture. He has made it very clear, this conversation with Europe has to include agriculture. And that's, I have to tell you, you know, this is going to be a very difficult conversation, but it's one that we've needed to have for a very, very long time. And, uh, you know, the one thing about a statistic that I can tell you really sticks in Ambassador Lighthizer's mind, and he talks about it pretty often, is in agriculture with Europe, we have a $15 billion trade deficit. So that kind of, I think that, that's an enormous number when you think about our, our agricultural exports. Uh, that kind of tells you where the playing field is here. It's tilted pretty significantly. And uh, we've got to have that conversation to figure out where we can move the ball forward in these areas. And we're gonna talk about that with Europe in terms of the WTO and, and, and many other contexts. And uh, I, I have to say, when I first came into this job and, and got ramped up to speed on all of this, this was an area that really shocked me. Uh, how different and, and the direction that Europe is headed, particularly with regard <laughs> to biotechnology and, and, and anything related to science. Uh, you know, uh, we have got to arrest and address the direction that Europe is headed in terms of science and technology and agriculture. Actually, I said that wrong. I would, should say the lack of the use of science and technology in agriculture. Uh, it's, it's really pretty dramatic. We just simply cannot let the EU continue to get away with circulating the false narrative that EU agriculture is somehow superior to the rest of the world. It isn't. In fact, what Europe is really implementing is a non-science-based, backward-looking trade protectionist regime. And I really appreciate the fact that this administration has indicated we're going to address this. Well, thanks, Delaney, for getting that on tape and getting it up to us here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Listeners, if you want to stay in touch with the Ag News Daily Podcast, we are still working out bugs with the new website. You may have noticed we're not updating as frequently on your podcast player. If that's the case, please go ahead and resubscribe. Sorry to make you do that, but I think that might help address some of the issues. If you're not currently subscribing, go ahead and do that. Log into your favorite podcast source and hit the subscribe button on Ag News Daily. That way you'll get us every day for all of your Ag News. And if you want to interact with us, you can do it on social media. Just search for Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter and we'll be there. Without further ado, folks, we should have Delaney back tomorrow. But until then, I'm going to let you go.